0: Not going to be the pianist in heaven. It was incredible, as it always is. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you walk into the church office, you will find a picture hanging there that I expect was taken from a drone. It's positioned from the northeast corner of our property and it looks back on the front of this building and also on Price Hall. I considered, seriously considered, taking that picture and uh, having a jigsaw puzzle made out of it. You know what a jigsaw puzzle is? Do you know why they call them jigsaw puzzles? Because they cut pictures up with a jigsaw. Some things you just don't pay for, right? So um, so I started to have one made of that picture of the front of our church and then cut that into puzzle pieces and then hand them out to you as you walked in this morning. I didn't do that because I'm just really cheap and I didn't think that was a great use of money. But I do think it's a great picture, a great analogy if you will of the local church. You see a jigsaw puzzle as you know is made up of numerous pieces. If you're a an amateur at doing jigsaw puzzles, you get the ones that we give to young children, you know, with 10 pieces. It doesn't take too long for us as adults to figure that out, but the more you progress in your puzzle work, you move to those that have 100 pieces or 500 pieces or 1,000 pieces. Made a visit not too long ago, and in the facility where that visit was made, there's also another one of our members who's known as the Jigsaw Puzzle Lady. And uh, there's jigsaw puzzles everywhere. And apparently she brings people in and they work on them together and then they even frame them sometime. Who of us who are jigsaw puzzle workers has not experienced that great disappointment when you get through putting together a jigsaw puzzle and there's a piece missing? Even though you've done 499 other pieces, or 999 other pieces. It's the one piece that's missing that draws your focus. I would suggest to you today that we may well be the Jigsaw Puzzle Baptist Church. The analogy for us is that each of us as individuals are part of a bigger picture. And so if I had given you just a piece of a puzzle that is the picture of the facade of First Baptist Church, that one piece is uniquely yours. And without you in your spot, then the picture is tainted. Welcome to the Jigsaw Puzzle Baptist Church. This points out for us the dual nature of what church is. When we come together as a body of believers... There is that individuality that we bring with us, each of us coming from our own background, from our own training, from our own educational work, from our own business, from our own family values. We come in as individuals, but we also are a piece of the picture that is a community of faith. I want to invite you to go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It, your Bible may well open directly to that because we were in 1 Corinthians 13 for a while. We're going to be in the last handful of verses there in chapter 12, and we'll get there in a few moments. But I need to get a few things out for us to work with before I read that passage. This dual nature of the church, it is individuals, but we are more than just individuals. We are a community of faith, a picture, if you will that sets us up for a problem. The problem that it sets us up for is that we have these values, these guidelines that we've been talking about, and as we fulfill those, then it sets us up for this individuality dilemma. Let me, let me see if I can flesh that out a little bit more for you. We have been talking about guidelines, those, those values that we have as a church body that help as they work together, and we work with those together, it helps to create an atmosphere, a culture that is conducive to growth. Healthy things grow, and so the guidelines and the values that we adopt as a church family make us healthy. And so as we grow, then these things help to be something of the glue that holds us together. Let me back it up this way. The first one that we talked about was people Matter. The reason they need to matter with us is because they matter to God. People matter, and so we need to handle people well. Part of handling people well is the other one that we looked at tied to that, which is we need to make space for people. Always we need to be opening the doors and allowing people to come in. If we're doing church right, then we will be appealing to people who are spiritually hungry. So we treat people well, and in the process of that, we need to make space for people, but that sets us up for this problem. And the problem is that when we start reaching people and they start coming in, we start figuring out that some people are just messy. I'm not talking about the way they dress. I'm talking about the way they behave themselves or the way they think. And so as we start reaching and making space for people and people start coming in, and that's not just our church, this is any church, then we start finding that people are different. You know any different people? You know, it's, this is the kind of different. I'm, when I was a, a teen, excuse me, working with teenagers, I was a youth minister. I had a bunch of guys that we worked together every summer to do several weeks of youth camp for area churches. And one, one day this, one of the guys and I were standing there watching and this teenager was walking across the recreation field and tripped and fell, tripped over nothing and fell flat on his face. And my friend said, oh, bless his heart. You know what bless his heart means? <laughs> it means you're different. need a little help. Have you figured out that in this puzzle that we are, Some of the individual pieces are a little bit different. This is one of those dilemmas for us. Some people are not just different, they're difficult. Let me give you a few names. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'd just like to make sure you're listening with both ears. Some people... Or difficult. I had a friend of mine. I learned some things from a number of years ago. He came to our little country church in the Panhandle. Did a revival meeting for us. And he one one of those evenings uh, after the service, we were at a farmer's house and we were about to eat supper. And he started talking about some of the difficult people in his experience as a pastor. And he used a term that has forever resonated with me. It stuck with me so much that every once in a while I'll even throw this out in a conversation. And he talked about difficult people as grace builders. Now grace, you know, the Sunday school definition is unmerited favor, God's unmerited favor on us. Uh, So in other words, in real language, not Sunday school language, that means that we don't earn God's favor. He just gives it to us. That's grace. We don't get what we deserve. We get his grace. And so this guy talked about difficult people as being grace builders. It totally shifted the focus away from, they're such a problem, they're so different, they're so difficult, it pushed him back on himself, and he said, that is a difficult person, but they build grace in me as I work with them. It's a great perspective to have. The reality in our churches, not just ours but others, is that some people are exceptional Grace builders, really hard to live with. So let me change our terminology just a tad. Would you say that this church is an integrated church? I got a phone call this week, actually a little over a week ago, from one of the leading voices in Texas Baptist life. He happens to be one of my mentors, and so we were talking about a couple of things, but he particularly called me because he wanted to talk to me about our church and a little bit about my experience, 20 years on the border in South Texas, and now he knows El Paso, and he knows First Baptist Church of El Paso, and he said, you've been there a year now. He said, I want to talk to you about an integrated church. Would you, Mark, say that First Baptist Church of El Paso is an integrated church, now, I don't know what you say about that, but I say absolutely so. Look around you at the different pieces of this puzzle. And so we talked a bit about that, and, and uh, we also talked about that church that I served in deep south Texas for 20 years as we sought to make space to open the doors and to push the edges out so that they're permeable, so that people could infiltrate in and that church could change from being what it had always looked like Let me just say it for what it is. It had been an Anglo church in a sea of Hispanic culture. And for 20 years, I and other staff members worked to help integrate that church so that it looked more like the community in which it had been planted. And so in this discussion with this church leader, we talked about how to integrate a church. And In that, I was already planning on preaching this, so that part helped me because it just was something that I had already been thinking about some, but it helped me to come back to remember a few of the basic ideas. Here's a premise that that guy's working from. It is this. Don't miss this. That many churches, Texas Baptist churches, really struggle with making space for people who are different. I don't believe that that's a struggle for our church, frankly. One of the things that I saw as soon as I got here was I see people from all over the world who worship here and are part of the family here. It's an incredible thing. We cannot and should not take that for granted. And we should always emphasize the need to make space for people, even different people. And some of those different people will be difficult. The old saying is, you finish it for me. Birds of a feather flock together. Hear me say this with all the love that I can muster. That cannot ever be true in a healthy church. We cannot ever buy into a mentality that says, we're just going to have people like us. We're just gonna have people who look like us, who sound like us. We're just going to be a people that are our kind of people. We have to always make space. And I'm not trying to go back and re-preach a message from last week, but that begins to put us into this track of how do we get this right? Because the reality is as we open up and as we allow doors in, and our church does that very well, so don't misunderstand me. I'm just, just working on principles and guidelines that we will use as we work forward into the future. But as we open up, we will always get people who are different. We will get people that you will walk away from them and you will say, well, bless his heart. You're going to get grace builders. So here's the guideline for today. Respect diversity, but demand solidarity. Let's unpack that a little bit. That takes me to the text. I know many of you are wondering if I was ever going to get to the Bible today. So let's go to our text. And as we come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll remind you what we've said several times over the last several months because we've found ourselves in 1 Corinthians a number of different times. Paul is writing to a group of first century Christian house churches. And in these house churches made up of Greco-Roman society kind of people, then that Series of churches is fighting a battle that is based on status. They want to be somebody. In Greco-Roman society of the first century, what we find was this emphasis for people to try to rise above other people to seem important. And so they did that in a number of different ways. And so Paul writes into that because they're getting it wrong. They're, they're just Almost across the board, they're just getting it wrong. From the very beginning of this book in chapter 1, Paul highlights the fact that they're divided. They get this diversity thing, but they're trying to get one up on somebody else, and so they're divided as a church. And one group says, kind of with those you know, hands under their lapels kind of thing, say, uh, well, I follow Simon Peter. I'm a disciple of Peter, in other words. And other saying, well, I'm a follower of Paul. And then the really spiritual ones, the really ones who want to try to get up on everybody, well, you know, I follow Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in and he says to them in no uncertain terms, what's the matter with you? And one thing after another as we work our way through the book of First Corinthians, Paul is attacking that stinking thinking that they have that says, I can one-up somebody else and makes me more important. By the time we get to 1 Corinthians 12, he is in mid-argument now about their abuses of spiritual gifts as it relates to that. Their perspective was that if I have the, those showy gifts, like if I can conduct healings, if I speak in tongues where I can make a spectacle, then that puts me one up over the person who all they really do is serve other people. And So that mentality seeps into every part of their lives. And Paul comes to this and he jerks the rug out from under their posturing feet when he says these things. I want you to listen now for diversity and solidarity. He says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, "'For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free.'" And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But that is as it it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Listen for the sound of jigsaw puzzle. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. For one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Respect diversity, demand solidarity. Let's break that down just a little bit. Notice that Paul in this argument does not camp out. On promoting uniformity. In other words, Paul is not interested, nor is Jesus, in a church that is a bunch of clones. It is a celebration of diversity. Diversity meaning variety or composed of differing elements. This whole thing that we talk about as a church as designed by Jesus Christ emphasizes and respects diversity. You are a piece of the picture but you're an individual piece and you bring with that your own background and your own experiences and your own training and all of those kind of things. This diversity that we're talking about is all around us in the world. I've been hiking lately. And so when I lived in East Texas, we talked about cactus. But now that I'm out and we hike through and he stops every once in and says, this right here, this is an ocotillo or this is a Nagave plant, or this is a prickly pear, or this is creosote, and I'm finding that all of those things, as individual as they are, they look different, they smell different, they stick you in different ways. They're diverse from one another. It's so much a part of our lives. Probably the business that you work for, probably. Unless you just work in a vacuum all by yourself and you're gainfully employed by yourself, Almost certainly the business that you work in is diversified. You have people who differ, do different things. And our church, our church staff is set up that way. We have a minister of missions, Edgardo. By the way, Edgardo took the whole summer off. No, he's been working mission trips, been gone all summer long. He's worn out, sleeping through the sermon. No, he's not. He's fully engaged. I've been watching him. But Edgardo has a title it's not just a title, it's a responsibility. He is our missions pastor. We have a business manager who doesn't oversee the mission stuff. We have a kitchen coordinator who makes sure that we're fed well around here, but she doesn't get up and preach on Sunday mornings. We're diversified just like your business is diversified, and that's a normal, natural thing. And so individuals come into those particular pieces And they bring their training and they bring their background and they bring their race and all of those things that are part of they are, and they come together into the local church environment. And that's a recipe for trouble. (laughs) You see, this diversity thing, if it just runs amok, is the cause for incredible tension and friction and even outright conflict. Remember me telling you about my wife and our, our children? See, Teresa and I both grew up where a sign of respect is to look the person in the eye that you're talking to. And so when our kids would get in trouble, which was every day, I knew they were really in trouble when I saw her bend down and say to them, you look at me right here, you look me right here in the eye. That's how we were raised. That's our background. My daughter had a flashback to her childhood a couple of weeks ago when she was out here, and her son got that treatment from his nanny. Declan, you look me right here in the eyes. Lauren just folded up on the couch and went fetal position. That's how we were raised. That's our background. That was our culture. And so when I became a pastor in South Texas and I had someone on my staff who was from a different kind of a cultural background and in a discussion that was a little bit heated and very direct as far as confrontation was concerned, he kept looking away and would not look me in the eye. And I, well, let me me just say that I had to repent later of my attitude because of the disrespect that I saw in this other person. But in that confrontation, he explained to me that in his culture, to look someone with authority in the eye was considered to be a slight. So, what happens, make sure we pull all this together. So, what happens is as we expand and open the doors, and people come in to our church, not just our church, but any church, and they're different. And they bring their own backgrounds with them, and they bring their own experiences with them. And if we're not careful, we just immediately begin to paint them to be the kind of piece that we are in the puzzle. In other words, we duplicate who we are in them, and if we can't do that, then they become difficult people, causes conflict in the church, and most of those people will bounce off of the edge of the church out into nowheresville, often giving up on God totally because of their experience with God's people. We have to respect diversity. How do we do that? How do we do that without losing track of who we are? This is not an easy thing. The reason that we're preaching this, because I want it to be on the record not just for us today, but as we go forward. I want us to make sure that as a church, as we seek to open the doors to a lost city full of different people, many of whom will be difficult, that as we make space for them and they find their way into the various doors into the life of our church, that they can come in here and be who they are and be celebrated accordingly. But here's the problem with that. This is why it's messy. We can sell our soul to just making space for people and lose who we are. You know, the the catchword, the cry of battle in American society today is tolerance. I would suggest to you, I'm not a political person at all, but I would suggest to you that if we... Fly our flag of tolerance as a people, then sooner or later we degenerate into anarchy. Because where anything goes is a dangerous place. So we have to balance out this whole thing of diversity. So we respect diversity, but we demand solidarity. How do you get to solidarity? Look again at verses 12 and 13 because I think this gives us the answer that we're looking for. Instead of anything goes in respecting diversity, we find this common foundation. For just as the body is one and has many members, that's talking about us individually as people, we have fingers and ears and noses and all of that, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. As we find all through that passage that we've read today, it is this message that seeps forward. We are individual members. We are individual pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, but the jigsaw puzzle as a whole is a picture, and the picture is of the body of Christ. The solidarity around which we rally, the place where we lose that individual emphasis and come for the good of the community is at the cross of Jesus Christ. We rally and we worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the glue that holds us together. We are His body. We're not just a bunch of people come together who decided we'd paint a pretty picture by being together. That's not who we are. We are the body of Jesus Christ, and we serve Him, and we worship Him, and we reach out to people for His sake so that they might have His life, so that they might grow to be His followers as we seek to be those who continue to grow, another one of our guidelines. We come together, when we come together like this, it is only because of Jesus Christ, not because it's a great thing to do on Sundays. We are His. And so that is the point of solidarity around which we rally. That is the picture that we celebrate. And so I would say to you, whether it's on TV or those of you who are here today or might be hearing this over the Internet at some later date, the reality is if you want to be part of this body of believers, then the solidarity that we demand is that you come in as a worshiper of Jesus Christ, as a follower of him, as a disciple of him who is growing to look like him in everyday life. You see, when we have our eyes fully focused on him, the differences that we see among one another, whether it's racial background, language differences, training, socioeconomic, all of those differences are part of the diversity. They're not division points for us. But that only works when Jesus stays in the right place. And the right place is king. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. I want you to envision this. The favorite food of my life is my mom's fruit salad. It's a great picture of church life, I think. All these different fruits, <laughs> bananas and oranges and apples and pears and pecans, all mixed together into a bowl of heavenly delight. Such it is with the church when we get this right. That Jesus pulls us together. He works across the differences between us and even the difficult people. And he makes us one. Are you part of that family? If you're not, if you don't know Jesus personally, then that's the place you start in getting where God would have you to go. We invite you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today. If you don't know what that means, this invitation time would be a great time for us to start that conversation. I'll be down front. Dr. Nickel will be down here. We invite you to come, and we'll talk to you about Jesus and what he offers in your life. If you're not part of his family, then I would highly recommend that you consider it being part of this family as you come to serve him. This is a great church full of many people who seek to honor Jesus with their lives. Maybe you've been looking for a church home. This is a great place. Today could be a day where you find a family here at First Baptist Church. Whatever it is that God is dealing with you about today, now's a great time to act on that. And so, Father, we ask that you would Work through this next few moments. Change lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing together in this time of invitation.